Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today we have two interview guests. The first is Arne Friedrich, who played in two World Cups for Germany as well as for the Chicago Fire and is currently the sporting director for Hertha Berlin. The second is my old partner, Luis Miguel Echegaray, who's now hosting a terrific new daily soccer podcast for CBS called Que Golazo. We've had some great guests lately, including Landon Donovan, Ted Lasso's Jason Sudeikis, and Brendan Hunt, and Kate Abdo, along with many others. So check those interviews out. It would be huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Before we speak to Arna Friedrich, I want to do a short opinion piece on our excitement for Americans at soccer's highest levels lately. Saturday was a lot of fun if you're a U.S. men's national team fan. In the same day, 22-year-old Christian Pulisic scored for Chelsea, 22-year-old Weston McKenney scored for Juventus, and 18-year-old Gio Reyna scored for Dortmund. In the marquee game of the German season so far, a 3-3 tie between Bayern Munich and Leipzig, 21-year-old Tyler Adams played a central role for Leipzig, and 20-year-old Chris Richards came on in crunch time for Bayern Munich. 20-year-old Serginho Dest started for Barcelona. On Sunday, 20-year-old Josh Sargent started for Werder Bremen against Stuttgart, coached by an American, Pellegrino Matarazzo. And this week's Champions League group deciders also have an American flavor. Jesse Marsh's Salzburg can advance at the expense of Spanish league-leading Atletico Madrid with a win at home on Wednesday. Adams' Leipzig can advance at the expense of Manchester United with a win at home on Tuesday. And a record six Americans are already through to the Champions League knockout rounds. Richards, Man City, Zach Steffen, Pulisic, Reyna, Dest, and Barcelona teammate Conrad. It's an absolute blast following this many Americans every week at the highest levels of the men's club game. And it's fun to ask, is this a golden generation? Or is this just the way it's going to be moving forward, with more and more U.S. players excelling at the top? We can't know for sure right now, but the possibility that this is the new normal is intoxicating. For these Americans to really burst through into this country's sports consciousness, though, they need to do it with the U.S. men's national team, too. A couple years ago, I did some research on Christian Pulisic using Google search trends in the United States. What I learned was this. Pulisic drew more attention from the U.S. for small-time things he did for the national team, like scoring against St. Vincent and the Grenadines, than he did for scoring a goal that sent Dortmund to the Champions League quarterfinals. European club soccer is getting bigger and bigger in the U.S., and we hardcores know how much it matters that Americans are doing unprecedented things these days. But doing something big for the U.S. men's national team will take things to an entirely different level here. What we do know is this. The ingredients are there, and it's a joy to watch these days. Now, here's my interview with Arna Friedrich. Our guest now is Arna Friedrich. He's the sporting director at Hertha Berlin, where he also spent many years as a player with the club. He also played in two World Cups for Germany and spent a couple years with the Chicago Fire in MLS. Arna, thanks so much for joining me. It's good to see you again. Hey, good to see you guys too. Thanks for having me tonight. Yeah, lots to talk about. Um, and I've spent a lot of time over the years in Germany, including in Berlin. And my sense has been that soccer as a sport isn't as big in Berlin as it might be in other parts of Germany. And I'm wondering, why is that? And is that changing? Hopefully it's changing. That's also uh, a part of our job, actually. But you're right. Uh, Berlin is a fantastic city. And you, you mentioned it already. Um, there are some other cities in Germany that are just like soccer cities. For instance, Borussia Dortmund. Um, but here in Berlin, I think the reason is we, we have uh, so much to offer. So we have, we have art, we have restaurants, we have culture, we have hockey, we have basketball, handball. So there is a lot of sports and culture and, and stuff like that. 
Um, that might be one reason. And also one reason is um, we have around 3.7 million people living in Berlin. And um, there are not that many typical Berliner anymore, the people that were born and raised here. So people come and go. There's a lot of movement. And so we definitely have to earn our, our spectators. Um, Hertha Berlin is, um, yeah, is, is a very old club. Uh, we have history here. But um, sometimes it's not enough. So obviously it's a big city. And it's one of those problems that we are, or not problems, more challenges that we are facing. And we definitely want to want to work on that because Germany is the capital of, uh, Berlin is the capital of Germany. And um, we, we, we also want to be known in the world, not just like as the city Berlin, but also as the soccer club. Yeah, I, I love Berlin as a city. If I was going to live someplace in Europe, I think that might actually be it. Um, and... And that's really cool. Um, but in terms of you coming back to Berlin, uh, how did you end up as the sporting director there? Oh, that's a good, very good question. Uh, it definitely wasn't my plan. So uh, I had a fantastic time, you know, that in Chicago uh, in 2012 and 13. Um, I really enjoyed it. And then uh, I had this slip disc in my, in my bag. So I had to retire and I was still in relationship here in Germany. So I decided to move back. I have a huge heart for America and um, I, I also have a second home in America. Uh, now it's in Los Angeles because of, of the weather and winter here. Um, yeah. So, but it, it wasn't really my plan to, to just like go back and become a sporting director. After retirement, it's like, it's very important for, for an athlete to, uh, to redefine yourself. You know, it's like, because soccer was and is basically my whole life. I did Uh, what I do best, this is what I would say, and uh, what, I mo uh, what I enjoyed most. So I had to redefine myself. I had to find out what interests me, what is my weakness, what is my strengths. And so therefore, I did many things before I became sporting director. So I, I passed my coaching licenses. I, I worked as an assistant coach for the under 18th national team here in Germany. I partnered up with a, with a marketing company here in Germany also for a year I established my, my own foundation. I worked as a TV expert. Um, I covered sometimes also for uh, Fox Sports in America. I'm still mm -hmm. doing that every once in a while for Chinese media. So I, I covered a lot of ground actually. And then um, all of a sudden in last year in October, um, I've, I've got a call from, uh, from the club that they need me here in Berlin. And if I would be interested in uh, just like joining the club as a, as a performance manager back then to help the club stay in the league. So, and I didn't really have that much time to think about. And um, I followed my heart. I said, okay, now it's the opportunity. And um, even if I didn't like to do that at this point, because I had a fantastic life um, full of projects and uh, interesting things to do. But I thought that at, at this point, it was my calling to come back. And so then I worked there until the, the end of the season. We stayed in the league and the club, uh, I guess they were happy with my uh, performance here. And they offered me a job as a sporting director because they want to, you know, also restructure the front office and also like the, the sporting aspect, the sporting side. Until that point, it was just like uh, one CEO with uh, uh, Michael Pretz. Uh, yeah, and he asked me to join. And so here I am. I'm back in Berlin. Uh, I signed a contract. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting project, obviously. Um, but I guess we will talk about that later. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting just the term sporting director I always find fascinating because there's other terms that get used sometimes. Technical director, sporting director, um, you know, like... And it's funny, I did a chapter of my book on Michael Zork at Dortmund and spent a lot of time with him, sporting director there. And one of my first questions was, what do you do? Like, like what do you actually do as a sporting director? Because it seems like there's a lot of different things. There's a lot of different things. And I, I also learned a lot already. So one part, a uh, very big part, obviously, is uh, transfers. So I'm involved in transfers and uh This is also something that I had to learn to negotiate contracts and to, to deal with players, with agents, with clubs. Very interesting, but also very challenging, especially in these days 
with uh, the coronavirus, everything changed a little bit, the market. I'm also very close um, at the team. So I'm working very close with uh, closely with our head coach. Um, so I know the players very well. I know their needs. I know yeah, many things that they need to learn actually also off the field. So I really try to be a mentor too. So I'm doing negotiating. I'm uh, also building structure within the club. So when it comes up to different topics so it's it's um i also deal with employment so uh, every once in a while i i hire people i also sometimes if the time is uh, right or it's necessary then i have to let go of people too so there's a there's a lot of things that i cover but the most important to me actually is like working very closely with the with the team and also with the coach and um i really enjoy uh, the mentoring aspect too. Um, this, is, this is definitely on my heart. But um, there's more things that I do, but this is like the most profound. So to build the team, um, to create a structure within the club and also work with our uh, athletes and coaches. It still amazes me that some clubs, especially in England, it seems like they have this sort of old-fashioned manager who like, you know, is the head coach of the first team, but also does what a sporting director would do, is in charge of transfers. It seems like way too much to do for one person. How would you describe sort of the German? Is is there like a German approach to dividing you know, the division of labor in, in what you do? It's it's a different concept. Um, it's definitely more work for one person to do everything. Um, on the so there's always pros and cons. The uh, the pro is for sure. You don't have to, so as a sporting director, as a manager, you don't have to deal with a coach or with a sporting director here in Germany. So there's only one person responsible for everything. He has like the big picture and he can work and he can, he can establish everything by himself. Here in Germany, it's more divided in, in different parts. Obviously, there's the coach. He's responsible for the lineup, for making the team better and stuff like that. And he has to deal with me. I have to deal with him and also with our CEO. So um, we divided the work in, in three, three parties, actually, um, which can be a pro and sometimes it's a con because, you know, obviously, if you want to find solutions, uh, sometimes it's easier if you can just like decide and then that's it. But I think also it has some, some uh, advantages because, um, you know, three brains sometimes work a little bit more uh, sufficient and better. So I actually like how it is here in, in Germany, but I know... Uh, people and coaches and manager that prefer uh, the English style. And uh, again, there's pro and cons. So Hertha as a club has a lot more investment in it the last couple of years. Could you explain why that's the case? What happened? Yeah, obviously the club always looked out for, uh, for investors. Um, obviously, uh, you cannot buy success, but you can definitely build a very good foundation. And uh, the club was not really blessed in, in the past 10 years with uh, big investors, actually. And then uh, we found this one investor who, who was uh, really willing and also very happy about investing money into our club because he also sees the, the, the huge potential in Berlin. You mentioned it earlier. Berlin is a fantastic city. It's the capital of, of Germany. Um, back then, when I used to play here, um, probably 20 years ago, um, you know, people, people said that, that Hertha Berlin is the sleeping giant because we basically have everything here in order to succeed, but nobody was really able to awaken the giant. And this is something, you know, there's a lot of hope in this city here. Um, and, uh, he invested his money and, or, or some of the money. And actually it's, it's definitely a nice thing to invest money, but it's also, it comes with a price, right? So if um, other clubs and managers and even players know about your financial circumstances, then obviously uh, the ne negotiation process is getting more complicated, right? So, and we had it in summer already. Uh, some cases, actually, we, we were looking for players uh, with a specific value and also income. Um, but in the end, he tripled uh, the price. And I mean, it's, it's insane, especially in, in these days with the coronavirus, everything got a little bit harder, but we are very blessed and we are very happy to have the investor. Obviously, uh, we have a very good foundation. Now we have to work on, on, on the club, on the, on the in infrastructure and on, uh, on everything. 
in order to make a, a very successful team. We're recording this on December 3rd. Your team is currently on eight points, 13th place in the league. It's still pretty early. How are you feeling about what you're building with the project right now? It's a process. Everything needs some time. We made the, um, the intention or like the intentional uh, decision um, to change also our roster. So we had some veterans last year, very important players, Solomon Kalou, we had uh, Vidal Ibizovic, we had Piers Kjellberg, all players uh, by the age of 30 or older. Um, and just like to mention a couple uh, or three players, uh, they were the structure and they were the most important players in the past. And um, they played here for quite some time also. And we made the decision to, uh, to, um, to put trust in, into the future, to younger players. We brought in new players, uh, highly talented players. And uh, right now we are still lacking a little bit of, of uh, the structure within the team. So it has to evolve organically, actually. You cannot say, okay, you're the captain, you're the co-captain, behave like a captain or co-captain. So everything has to be rebuilt, actually. This takes a little while and uh, this is a process, but... If I take a look at our roster right now, uh, we have a very, very good roster. And I think uh, time will show and time will reveal that uh, we have a good team. And um, so obviously we're all impatient, especially the fans and also the media here, also ourselves. So we are all very impatient. But on the other hand, we know um, that you have to build success, not just like on the short term, but also on the, on the mid and on the, on the long term. And this is our responsibility too. So what is your objective? What is your goal with, with your team? Uh, how, how long, you know, what do you want to get to? How long do you think it will take? So first of all, this season, we want to settle with the, the new young, young team. Um, it's definitely a year of transition. So it's new coach. It's, uh, it's you know, new investor. There's another CEO joining our team uh, or our club. There's new players. So this year, we definitely want to establish ourselves uh, yeah, on the top of the table. So not necessarily playing EuroLeague next year, but the year after, for sure, we want to play internationally. And this is uh, 100% uh, possible. And we work hard on that. Do you plan on being active in the January transfer window? It depends, to be honest. Uh, I think... If we cannot buy anyone, we are we w- we would be happy because we have we have a pretty pretty solid roster already. If there is an opportunity or a chance to to get someone who makes our team better, then obviously we would we would go for it. And uh, we have some positions um, that are always open, or like you know, like a winger, for instance. Um, this is a position possibly in in winter, but also for sure in summer, also as a as a holding mid and also box to box player, those positions we are looking for, not just like in winter, but also in summer, but uh, we'll see what happens. So obviously Corona did its job. Um, we saw it in summer, not that many clubs uh, gave players away because they weren't really sure if they, they would get other players. So um, we, we had to deal with that too, actually. We gave away some players, so we needed to find some, some new players. And uh, it was very challenging, and uh, it took until the last minute, actually, of the transfer window. But I think in the end, we did a good job. Are you having fun in this job? <laughs> I always have fun. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, <laughs> honestly. It's like I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm very blessed. Um, I think I have I have very good people in my life that help me to uh, to keep my stuff together. So I'm I'm independent and and I just do what I like to do. And this is what I used to do the, within the last six or seven years after retirement. So I'm very very blessed. I'm happy. I'm uh, yeah. It's it's a challenge. Um, and um, yeah, right now I I like my job for sure. We talked a little bit about your interest in the United States. What first drew that interest from you? Like, do you remember something early in your life where, like, the U.S. you just was decided I, I'm interested in that place? I think as a as a kid, I I always I also watched uh, movies, and you know, there's here in Germany, there it's it's all about American movies. Obviously, with uh, the German language back then, I I weren't able to to speak English, but so I watched all those. Um, American series and, and movies. And I always really liked your, your yellow buses, the school buses. And uh, okay. I was just, I don't know, it's just like something that lays way in the past, but I thought, okay, 
America is such an interesting country. I have to figure that out at one point. And my biggest dream, honestly, was like after finishing my career here to live in America. So I told my okay. agent, um, I want to go to play in, in MLS for sure. And I had some, some cities on mind, actually. I told him, ah, New York would be nice, Los Angeles. Those two cities I, I was a little familiar with because I, I went on vacation there. But then my, my agent said, Ani, you got to figure out, figure out Chicago. I said, Chicago? I don't know. I just heard, you know, Windy City and El Capone and stuff like that. I've never been to, to Chicago. Yeah, come on, let's go there. They're really interested. Just like, let's fly over. That's what we did. I, um, I flew over um, with my agent, my, my girlfriend back then. And um, I instantly, I instantly fell in love with the city. It was the same actually when I, when I came to Berlin the first time. So I'm not from Berlin. I live three hours mm -hmm. away from here. So the first day I, I came to Berlin, I really loved it. And it was the same feeling in Chicago. And to be honest, I miss America a lot. So I haven't been to America in one year already. This is, to oh, me, well. it's impossible uh, actually. But on one hand, it's obviously right now my job. But that's not the big deal because there's like, uh, you know, international breaks and stuff like that. So I planned on, on flying over, even uh, having a contract, but the coronavirus didn't make it happen. And I really miss it. I miss my place. I miss Chicago a lot. And uh, I also miss MLS. I always, uh, if I find time, I, I watch the MLS here on the zone. So it's, it's amazing. And you guys are blessed for sure. It is really interesting just to see the growth of soccer in the United States. Um, that's what I've covered for the last 20 years. Um, but like when you watch MLS now and when you watch young American players now, what are you seeing? So first of all, the, the America, so the soccer, yeah, developed and improved a lot. So just like to mention a couple of players, Joey Reyna, Taylor Adams in, in Leipzig, Pulisic now in, uh, in Chelsea, McKenney. So just to mention a few players, they are highly talented, very, very good players. And we actually tried to get uh, McKenney to our, to our club in summer. Uh, yeah. in, in, the, in the last minute, Juventus Turin came over and obviously um, they had better, better cards on hand. But um, so the, the, the soccer got better and better. And uh, if I compare it today to 2013, I would say even, you know, tactically, America got better. So when I, when I came to America uh, in Chicago, I already knew that the physical aspect of soccer is, is very demanding and high in America. So everyone was very fast and players were able to run a lot. But I missed a little bit the structure on the field and the tactical aspect. But today it is way better. And um, the individual um, uh, training program uh, must have been better too because you see all those talents that are coming to, to Europe right now. And um, yeah, it's a very interesting market. Um, you have a great job right now. Would you ever be interested in, in working in MLS in a leadership capacity? Yes, I can say that for sure, because I love America a lot, as I, as I said it earlier. And uh, it's, uh, the job is amazing because I really like to, or I, I, I like to work with people. To me, everything in life is about people. And if you want to change anything in, in the organization, everything goes with the people. If you can if you can bring in people, if you can work with people, if you can influence people in a good way, in a, in a healthy way, you can build everything. But it's all about the people. And uh, so my job is amazing. But as I mentioned it earlier, I, I definitely miss America. Where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, that's very hard to answer because I make plans. But, uh, you know, there, there's a saying, if you make plans, God laughs about it. And this is what happened in my life uh, constantly. So. I didn't make the plan to, to come to Berlin to, to become a sporting director, so I don't really know what's happening, but I definitely, I definitely see myself in America at one point again. Arne Friedrich is the sporting director at Hertha Berlin. It is always a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatis with a Z and you can watch all the action in Spain's La Liga and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatis app. You can also watch the top leagues from France, Brazil, and Argentina. Plus, Fanatis has the Copa Libertadores, which is one of my favorite tournaments in the world. 
Fanatis features channels you know, like BN Sports in English and Spanish, Gold TV, and many more. And it costs as little as $7.99 a month. If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description or going to fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. One more time, that's fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. Now, here's my interview with Luis Miguel Echegaray. Our guest now is my guy, Luis Miguel Echegaray of CBS Sports. He has a new podcast there that comes out five days a week called Que Golazo. It's absolutely fantastic. It's got interviews with figures like Thierry Henry, Marcus Turam, many others. It's got a regular cast of contributors, including Jimmy Conrad, Aaron West, Heath Pierce, several others. And it's hosted by the hardest working man in soccer media who is joining me now. How are you, my friend? I feel really weird when I'm on the back end of those compliments because they're like, you know, 30% true. <laughs> How are you, brother? Good to be with you. Hey, listen, I know that you just complimented me a lot, but my goodness, everybody, you should be proud of your man right here. Freddie Adu. <laughs> Football with Grant. Whoa, my goodness. Hey, you got to run for U.S. presidency again, I think. <laughs> I had my fill with the FIFA presidential run back in 2011, I think. But, uh, but thank you very much. But you are the topic of this interview, my friend. Congratulations on what's still a relatively new gig for you at CBS. Um, you know, you are the second two-time guest on this podcast after Landon Donovan. Um, and... That is kind of cool, but there's but there's also a big difference here in the sense that you weren't at CBS last time. You are now, and obviously CBS is is investing a lot in covering soccer with UEFA Champions League rights, with NWSL rights. What was CBS doing with soccer that made you want to join? Yeah, Landon Donovan, the uh, American Luis Miguel Echegaray, by the way. So, like, that's a good little <laughs> twin system we have there. Uh, no, listen, um, obviously, everybody knows, as you mentioned, just the amount of effort and uh, passion that CBS is putting into the game. I think they're putting their money where their mouth is, and you can see it everywhere. I mean, excluding Kego Lasso, excluding what we're doing here, you can see it everywhere from CBS All Access, CBS Sports HQ. If you go to our site, you know, just the amount of tremendous writers, James Bench, Jonathan Johnson, we have Fabrizio Romano now as a colleague, which is kind of incredible, you know. And I think that, two things. One, I think that CBS knows and has realized uh, at least recently, that not only is soccer a growing trend in this in this country, which we all know, but I think they understand that it's it's about also the way that the game impacts young audiences and multicultural audiences and communities, and even not just hardcore soccer fans like both of us, but also people that are just investing themselves in the game themselves. And I think that's the key difference where CBS is saying, we are not just being like saying, we've been here for 20 years caring about this sport. We're telling you that we care a lot now, but also we're not just going to treat it as a hobby. This is the sport to pay attention to. This is it. And you can see it in the talent that we have and in the content that we have. And I'm, I'm very, very proud of that. And the other part is that, you know, they welcome diversity. They welcome multiculturalism. They welcome different types of voices. And that's why I wanted the show to be Que Golazo, because I wanted it to be both a celebration and I wanted it to be an, a global aspect of the game. It wasn't just about the Anglo way. It wasn't just about the American way. It wasn't just about the Mexican way. It was all of it. Because at the end of the game, at the end of the day, that's what the game is all about. And I love that. And you know that more than anybody, right? That this is a global sport. And that's what I wanted to bring to the table. And CBS, more than anybody that I've seen for a while, has really emphasized that. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask you about the naming of the show because I went through a long process coming up with the name for this show, Football with Grant Wall. How did you come up with Kei Golasso? Obviously, those are two words that are not English, they're Spanish. Um, how did that process work? 
You know what? At the very beginning of it, I thought that it was going to be easy to,、uh, you know, name a, a show. And it wasn't just me, by the way. Obviously, we're a whole team here trying to come up with this. And、uh, it was harder than most. If you don't know,、uh, you know, as Grant will also attest to, there are also legal complexities about this. There's no, it's not you can just come up with one name and then suddenly everything is fine. You have to be very specific. And very careful about the kind of brand that you want to create from a legal perspective, not just creative. So listen, like I, I, there were so many names that I that I wanted, but I, I did know one thing: that I wanted the name to not be necessarily something that focused on one specific demographic. Okay. And I feel that naming it in Spanish, and I think that you can relate to a lot with football with Grant Wall, naming it in Spanish. But specifically, a phrase that's actually a celebration of what everybody relates to is the key. Whenever you hear "quego lasso," it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter. You know exactly what just happened. Somebody just scored a goal, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure that we had a show that was inclusive in every sense of the way, and and that's why I wanted to do it. If you actually listen to the trailer.、Uh, It's just literally like me doing different types of narrators, like Andres Cantor or something like, just imitating them because that's really what that that's what gets the fire going, right? In here is all the things that we read, right? Here is what we watch, right? But here, and by the way, if you're listening, I'm touching my chest, my heart. Right, touching your chest, your heart. That's the essence of the game. And I thought, what better way to do it than do. Quego lasso, fine in Spanish, but it doesn't matter. Everybody knows what you're talking about because you're celebrating the ultimate thing, which is the goal. Yeah, oh, I really like that because that moment of of the goal is is why we watch this sport in a lot of ways. Though I do think, in a modern sense, because of VAR reviews, that maybe that like you could have like your B side show be Quego lasso. Oh wait a second, there's a VAR review. <laughs> oh my God, I'm stealing that. I am absolutely stealing that. We're doing Kego Lasso and then Part B. Hold up a second. Now,、nah, now、nah, it's coming back. <laughs> so, so you have a lot of content. You're putting out five shows a week. That's a lot. We do two here, which seems like a lot to me.、Um, like, what are you aiming to do with the show? Good question.、Uh, Listen, because at the end of the day, I think there are three things that I really wanted to make sure that we did with this podcast, and this, and it's a YouTube show, by the way. And I also write, and I'm also on CBS Sports HQ, so it's a lot going on, <laughs> right?、Uh, but I, the the main thing is three things. One, I wanted to make sure that people had something every single day, and I wanted to make sure that they knew that there was a podcast show. That was able to give you the latest and everything, and because obviously from a business perspective, it makes a lot of sense to、uh, symbiotically, you know, connect it to obviously the Champions League and Europa, which is a CBS product here in the U.S. We wanted to make sure that we had access, right? Every single day, whether it's a Champions League week or not, you're going to get some kind of information because somewhere in the world there is something going on with the game. So that's one part. The second part. Is I wanted to grow a community, and by that I don't just mean our guests, which is what you said, our colleagues, our collaborators, my spouse in crime, Jimmy Conrad, who's an absolute machine, right? Heath Beers, of course. We've had Christina Uncle, Fabrizio Romano, Roger Gonzalez, James Bench, Jonathan Johnson, just so many people to mention、uh, on a regular basis contributing. I wanted to grow this family that was able to speak not just to a European audience, not just. To an American audience, but to the globe. If I was to tell you, like the types of people that listen to our show, and every week we have our podcast meeting, and they're telling us, "Yeah, you got people from Indonesia and Korea, and you know, India and Ghana, and you know," I'm just like, "What?" Like that—that that to me just warms my heart. So that's the second part, and the third part, right? It's just once again relative to the title. I wanted to make sure that no matter what, the energy was there every single day. The celebration was there every single day, and we included the audience. That's why I always end my show with, "Please, I want your questions. I want your comments. I want all of it." And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build because we're not. We're not. You know, you and I know this. Like, aside from creating content, what's really important is knowing where your audience is. 
and distributing that and engaging with them. So that's why I really pay attention to the listener and I really want to represent them. To me, just like the game, if you don't support and represent the fan, then you might as well be dead. And that's what I wanted to do. Those are the three things really that really emphasize why. It's not just because it's five a, a week, right? But it's also about the fact that we're constantly trying to make sure that we represent you. And when you do five shows a week, one every weekday, sometimes multiple recordings in a day since you talk about you know, you preview and do post-game Champions League. We've just gone through a stretch where six out of eight weeks there have been Champions League and Europa League games, which is not typical. This is because of the compressed schedule. Um, what's a typical work day like? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so the, good, the first thing that everybody needs to know, and you know this, is that being married to a, a, an elementary school teacher is great because you get up super early whether you like it or not. Like I'm already, I'm up at 5 a.m., okay? Like I'm just awake, all right? And I go to bed really early. So you might not see me tweet after 9 p.m. most nights unless there's like a big game or something, right? So I make sure that I go to sleep early and I get up really early and I get up really early, as I said, even against my own wishes. Uh, but my day begins around 6.45 because I pay attention to what's going on on Kego Lasso Social. I make sure that we... Uh, share the content in the, at the very beginning of the day from, you know, where, so for example, let's say that we have Wednesday Champions League, um, you know, games on that Thursday morning. I want to make sure that from a social perspective, it's out. But my day begins around 6.45. I look around what's going on on social, Instagram, Twitter, etc. And then my interviews will begin as early as 7.30 a.m. Because obviously we have Jonathan Johnson, James Bench, Fabrizio Romano, and all the guests like you mentioned, you know, European-based players. You know, they need to start their day already. So I have to do interviews from 7 a.m., etc. So that will be interviews that may be one-on-ones uh, for the course of the week. If I'm doing a, a preview show with Jimmy or Heath, we are shooting that at around 10 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern, because they're on the West Coast. So I have to think Europe, West Coast, East Coast. So we tape that, and then, as you mentioned, we'll do a recap show, whether it's a Champions League, and we do that right after the games. So there are days when I'm doing three podcast episodes, because I'm doing a one-on-one special, and then I'm doing a recap and a preview. Then, and this was the Zach Steffen problem, so, Zach Steffen, I love you, but really, you as soccer, you messed me up, man. We were meant to have a conversation with him during the week, and it got pushed a few times. So, sometimes I have to do a Sunday 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I look back on my week, and I think, when's my day off? <laughs> Usually, I just have one. Uh, but it's good, because I'm losing weight and stuff, so that's fine. But, no, listen, like, to be honest with you, I wouldn't, this is what I wanted. You know this. You are, you are one of the hardest working people out there, regardless of soccer. You know this. I, I consume this sport so much, and this is exactly what I wanted. I wanted a platform where I was able to just talk to people, players, coaches, managers, journalists, etc., and just really celebrate the game. And you know what? CBS said to like, call my bluff. They said, here you go. Let's see what you can do. And that's exactly what's happened. Well, your, your quantity and your quality has been top-notch, and, and you can't fake your enthusiasm for the sport. And so I, I just want to congratulate you on, on everything you're doing. Thierry Henry, you had for an interview recently. Um, good get uh, there. Good interview. How was that for you as someone who sort of grew up following Thierry Henry at the height of his powers? Yeah, there are a few interviews in my life, uh, both before at Sports Illustrated uh, and now at CBS, where I've just been, wow. Thierry Henry, I think at this point, really, probably above even Villa players, until I interview Jack Grealish, I, I feel like Thierry Henry is, is my number one. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm Peruvian, but I grew up in England and I grew up very close to Highbury. I know exactly the Thierry Henry era. I know everything about it. And if you listen to that interview, it begins with an anecdote when I bumped into him when I just moved to New York and I freaked out. So this interview to me was very special. What's interesting about Thierry Henry, what people should know, is that if he's in the mood, he's in the mood. Yep. And he will go off. And that's exactly what happened that specific day. I was just expecting 20 minutes, right? Give me 20 minutes. It's just a conversation. There are no gotcha questions. I just want to talk to you. 
about you know what's going on. And if you listen to it, as you know, he gave me then that and then some, right? And and to me that was very special because I was listening to him as a you know as a host of a show, but also as a fan and somebody that appreciates everything that he's done because people don't understand like the, the journey that Thierry has gone through to become one of the greatest players, not just in Europe, not just in France, but in the world ever, is absolutely amazing. And he really just discusses his entire view on everything. You know, he goes from the saying, his thoughts on Lionel Messi, to Mikel Arteta's arsenal, to MLS, to the pandemic, to, you know, the fight against racial injustice, uh, you know, so many pieces of conversation in that interview that just to me just warm my heart and it's because I, I'm still like a 15 year old me just watching him destroy my villa and just like I'm talking to him at this point it, it, it was an unbelievable experience and I'm very thankful for it now it was a great interview and, and you're right in my experience with trying to interview and interviewing Thierry Henry sometimes it's the landing of the interview that is the hard part but like once you get him he's fantastic and and you're right he goes beyond what the allotted time is he like just like when he was in new york i interviewed him a few times and just he follows the soccer world so closely he would he would like he would be like watching concacaf champions league games that involved like a Central American team and like a Caribbean team and like want to talk about it. I'm just like, dude, I don't think anybody but you watch that game. <laughs> but, um, and I actually do remember my very first interview of Thierry Henry was back at Euro, during Euro 2000, which France won. And it was in uh, the Netherlands. And I got him on the phone because SI had decided to send me last second. And Henri, that was the moment. He was still very young then uh, where I realized how he how much he wanted to come to North America to the United States someday. And and I remember him in that interview just talking about wanting to live in New York someday, feeling like he had already gone once and felt like he was on a movie set. He was basically like any other French person or, or European who like saw stuff in the movies and wanted to come. And that's how he viewed it. And then he did it. Yeah, it's so funny because the very beginning of that episode, I tell him the anecdote and I'm not going to go the whole thing, but... We were in, I was in Soho with my friend who knows nothing about soccer, like nothing. And I'm looking at a store window and I look to my left and there's Thierry Henry, who was in New York uh, during the winter break because he was just literally going through an injury with Arsenal, so he had some time off. And I look at him and I just go nuts. I go, Thierry Henry, amazing. My friend goes, oh, is this your friend from college? <laughs> and Thierry Henry very gracefully said, yes, I am. I'm his friend from college. Uh, and he's just, and he's very funny, by the way. One of the funniest things he's ever said was back in the day, back in uh, when he was still playing. And they were talking about the French national team squad, the one that won the World Cup. And they asked him, Thierry, this team is loaded with talent. But what happens when things go wrong? Like, do you guys have a plan B, etc.? And Thierry took like a three-second pause and he goes, if you don't know what to do, just give the ball to Zizou. <laughs> it was like, to me, the best, quickest line. And yeah, as you mentioned, just a, a, a great person and a, and a great interview. One other thing I want to ask you about is it, you guys have a gambling discussion aspect of, of the show. And... I mean, it doesn't necessarily surprise me because after the Supreme Court ruling last year, um, or maybe it was this year, this year has felt like 20 years, um, but like, um, <laughs> but like legal, you know, legalizing sports betting, I assume this is a very strategic decision. And it's something that when you and I co-hosted a podcast at Sports Illustrated, we, we didn't really you know talk about. Um, what's your sense of that? Is that something new to you to talk about and and how is that going is that being received well yeah good question it's not really new to me actually because once again i go back to my uh growing up days in england i remember waking up on a saturday morning with my dad uh and just going to you know one of our my favorite uh memories is like going to sainsbury's and getting a, a sausage roll getting a diet coke walking around with my dad right before the 3 p.m kickoffs but before that going to william hill and just doing a, a cheeky little wager, just a parlay, and you know, just two pounds or whatever. So I'm used to like that 
environment, that atmosphere, that culture. Uh, listen, like, we also have to be realistic. This is a business, right? And our partnership with William Hill has, has been able to uh, sort of emphasize that and celebrate that. And I think that also we have to remember that it's a major part of sports, whether it's something that you follow closely or not, it's a major part of the culture. I mean, you all obviously know about it from a fantasy perspective in other sports, but it is a major part. And because we have that great partnership with William L., we have to maximize not just the game on the pitch, but also the way that new fans... I mean, this is a way that new fans are entering the game. They didn't know anything about the game, and they see it from a gambling perspective. And whether you agree with it or not, that's the ultimate reality. And that's a business plan that you have to take care of. It's very well to be romantic about our game, but you also have to be strategic. And we have the best to me. Jimmy Conrad is like part cyborg. He just knows so much about this and he's so good and fun with it and he brings so much color to the show that it's just impossible not to be drawn in and it's a major part of it especially in champions league weeks and and i totally welcome it i'm really happy that jimmy's involved with cbs in a number of ways um because that guy's put in the effort and obviously here's a guy who played in a world cup in 2006 as he'll tell you, got Pirlo's jersey after the Italy game, which, you know, it, it's a little unfortunate, I think, that that U.S. team didn't end up advancing because if it had, the game they had against Italy would be remembered, I think, in an even more fond way than it is because that was a classic game where the U.S. got a point off the eventual world champions finished with nine men on the field like you could do like you guys should do a whole episode by the way just you and jimmy talking about that game against italy but that's the thing and that's and that happens with heath beers as well like i get like sometimes lost in their stories you know like uh heath is telling us obviously about his first uh you know initial steps when he was in denmark and then his bundesliga days and jimmy you know jimmy Tackled Lionel Messi in a Copa America. Like, I, I love to bring it up like all the time. And he doesn't mind, by the way. He's like, yeah, bring it. But, you know, just recently, our most recent podcast, when we're talking about MLS and, you know, what's going on with the playoffs, and he has some great insights on Bruce Arena and who he was as a coach. And he has actually, when your podcast on Freddie Adu came out, he had a great story about training with him mm-hmm. in USA. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it, I think that he is, like you said, such a hardworking person but he's also super humble. Like he, he understands the concept of what he was and who he is now. And he brings all that to the table in such a great package. I'm just, we're very lucky to have him and everybody else, to be honest. But yeah, it's great to be with Jimmy all the time. Just to wrap up here, you know, we've been very focused on Champions League over the last, you know, six out of eight weeks. And, or you know, it's going to, Take a break now uh, after match day six, which is next week here uh, or this week, whenever this podcast comes out. Uh, And so then you're going to have between early December and mid-February, right? Um, No Champions League. What are you going to do with the podcast, presuming it's going to continue being five days a week? Yeah, you know what? Me and you were having this conversation before you started taping. And it's funny because before I joined, I was like, okay, so... Match day one, match day two, match day three, then you get that two-week break, then you come back. Okay, great, a nice two-week break. Hell no. Are you kidding? <laughs> when it's not Champions League weeks, it's even busier for us because we, at the very, you know, Champions League, obviously, Europa, is, you know, those weeks are very busy, but at least you have a structure because you know what's going to happen. In those weeks when there's nothing, or not nothing, there's obviously other things going on, right? We have to constantly think about how we're going to format and create the show. So we're still going to be here. We're still going to do every day. Uh, There'll be a lot of holiday content as well, building up to Christmas. And, you know, at the end of the year, we'll give some Kego Lasso Awards. We'll talk about transfers to watch out for in 2021. Our favorite players we will do a lot of those kind of stories. But we're also going to be obviously talking heavy on the Premier League, uh, U.S. soccer based, uh, you know, the end of uh, MLS, of course. So there's still going to be and of course, something that I love is one-on-one interviews. So there's still a lot of really cool interviews coming up. You mentioned, you know, Thierry Henry, Taram, uh, our very own James Benchhead, Arsene Wenger come out uh, last week. 
uh, that you can see already. We also had Andrei Shevchenko, Gonzalo Higuain, you know, Inola Aluko, just some great guests. So my aim is to give you all those one-on-one -on -one interviews as well in a good package. So we're still here. We're not going anywhere. And hopefully I'm still going to be alive by the time 2021 comes in. I hope that too. I do want to ask real quick about women's soccer because CBS also has the NWSL rights. Uh, Sandra Herrera is doing tremendous coverage in that area uh, from where she is in Chicago. Is that going to be part of the podcast as well? Is is Sandra going to do some of her own stuff or, or what do you know about that? Yeah, so I can't uh, unveil too much on that, but I promise every NWSL fan that things are coming. They're definitely coming towards the beginning of 2021. As you mentioned, Sandra Herrera and others, but Sandra Herrera mainly has just been amazing uh, when it comes to the women's game in CBS. We had her uh, last week as well uh, to discuss the U.S. women's national team, but there are things coming, uh, both part of our show and also a specific project. So uh, the future is definitely bright with that perspective as well. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes we have to remember as well that we want to make sure that we do things the right way. It can, I, don't, I don't just want to throw something, you know, like Kegolasso before it came out. It, there was a, as you know, there's, there's a period of real thinking about how to do this. It can't just be a celebration and then boom, it dies down. And that's exactly what's happening with the women's game here. So I promise you that 2021, there are some things coming. And shout out again, as you mentioned, to Sandra Herrera, because she's doing such great work. But there are things coming over here. Uh, and I can't wait for, for next year to, to see what uh, Wills we, we got in store for you. Lots happening with soccer at CBS Sports. Luis Miguel Echegaray is the host of the Que Golazo podcast, comes out five days a week. You should subscribe. You should check it out. You will enjoy it. My friend, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, brother. And again, I am so proud of you. Everybody listen to Freddie Adu and listen to Football with Grant Wall. Always a pleasure, my man. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Arna Friedrich and Luis Miguel Echegaray, as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.